Well, hello. Welcome to every day. Welcome to the next stage of our adventure together. The revolution has begun as we spend time in Ephesians. My name's Simon. You may not know me. I've just joined the everyday team, your team. I'm based in London, but I'm here to serve every day across the capital of England and across the nations. And we're going to spend some time together in Ephesians chapter 3. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to read Scripture together and then pull out of it some timeless truths that will help us grow in the 21st century. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you it's inspired. We thank you you train us through it that we might reach the nations with your kingdom for your glory. Amen. So, Ephesians 3, that's where we're landing. If you've got a Bible, why don't you grab hold of it now? But I'm going to read it for us. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of the Gentiles. Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. In reading this, then, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles, the non-Jews, are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I'm less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was hidden by God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be known, made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. What's going on in this passage? Well, it's fascinating because Paul, who was probably dictating this letter to a scribe, 
starts in verse 1, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. And then he pauses. Then he gets interrupted in his thought. You'll see he picks up that, uh, that phrase again in verse 14. For this reason I kneel before the Father. But he gets distracted. What's going on? Well, he's distracted by his calling. He's distracted by what God has said to him. What God has said to him about who he is and what God wants him to do. It's a bit like meeting a, a new parent, especially if it's their first child. Whatever the conversation, they end up talking about their child. Whatever you're supposed to be talking about, you end up looking at photos of a little baby on an iPhone or in a, in a wallet. Because their child has become their life. Well, Paul felt like that about his calling. His calling was his identity. His identity wasn't in his education. It wasn't in his wisdom. It wasn't in his history. In fact, in another letter, he calls all those things rubbish compared to the call of Christ on his life. Paul's identity was in the fact that God had grabbed hold of him and called him to preach the gospel. His identity was on the fact that he had been made alive in Christ and was now enslaved to his calling. He uses the word servant, although the Greek is the word slave. He was a prisoner for Christ. As he writes this letter, he's a physical prisoner. He's in jail. But that didn't bother him because he was already a prisoner to the call of Christ on his life. So why does Paul bother tell us about his calling? Is he just a bit self-absorbed? Is he just a bit up himself? No, he wants to talk about his calling because he wants to encourage us into our calling in Christ. You see, Paul did not see his calling as a missionary, as a, an apostle. He didn't see his calling to preach the gospel as something in addition to his life. He saw it as the whole context for his life. It wasn't one thing on his to-do list. It was the bit of paper which he wrote his to-do list on. And Paul wants us to grab hold of our calling. Now Paul is honest about the cost that he was paying. He's honest here about his imprisonment. Elsewhere he's honest about the beatings and the stonings and the shipwrecks. He doesn't want to pull the wool over our eyes. He doesn't want to say this calling is easy. No, he's telling us there's a cost. You see, his calling wasn't just his identity. It was his whole life. He could say elsewhere, you know, to, to live is Christ. To die would be gain. It's all about Jesus for Paul. Some of you right now are facing the cost of following Jesus. Some of you may be in prison. Some of you are facing challenges, financial challenges or, or ridicule because of your faith. Well, know that Paul stands with you. We stand with you. We stand shoulder to shoulder. Being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus is not easy. Jesus made that clear. Jesus said, you will have trouble, but do not fear, for I am with you. 
So Paul is reminding us or being interrupted by his great call because he wants us to step into our call in Christ. How does he encourage us to do this? Well, he prays for us. And he prays five specific things that help us look at the cost of discipleship, but also step into discipleship. We can look at the cost of following Jesus. But if we take hold of what Paul prays for us, we can walk willingly into that cost and see God do amazing things. Let me read again where Paul gets back on track in verse 14. For this reason, he says, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, you being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the fullness of the measure of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that's at work in us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So what are these five things that Paul prays for us? Well, the first is this. He reminds us it's not about us, it's all about God. For this reason, he says, I kneel before the Father. Jesus taught us to pray, our Father who is in heaven. One of the most famous parables of scripture is the parable of the prodigal son when the son returns and discovers the love of the father. Paul is reminding us in his prayer that God is the perfect father. As a small boy, there were moments when my life was scary. There were moments when I was fearful. There were moments when I felt under pressure. But it was okay because my dad was there. I could put my hand in his and know it would be okay. I could look at him driving the car and whatever my worries were, I knew it's okay. My father will look after me. Now my dad, like all fathers, was imperfect. But his presence still brought me comfort, security, provision. How much more with our heavenly father? So when the Bible talks about the Father heart of God, when Jesus prays, Abba, Father, it's not that God is a slightly better version of our earthly fathers. No, God defines what it is to be a dad. God defines that word, Abba. God is the perfect Father. Earthly fathers are just a glimmer of that, however good they are. Our Heavenly Father never lets us down never leaves us. He's always with us, always encouraging us, always cheering us on. And so the first thing Paul wants to remind us in his prayer is that although our calling is important, our relationship with our Father is more important. It's all about God. The second thing Paul prays is this. 
I pray that he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit. We are dependent on the Holy Spirit. It's not there's some bits of our Christian life, of our calling, that we can do without the Spirit, and some things you need the Spirit. No, we always need the Spirit. Paul's own story is one of constantly being filled with the Holy Spirit. Even though he had the most dramatic of salvation experiences, knocked off his horse by the ascended Christ, seeing Christ, hearing Christ, even though he had a glorious moment, he still needed Ananias to go to him and pray for him, for him to receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Throughout Paul's letters, he reminds us it's the Holy Spirit that regenerates our heart. It's the Holy Spirit that saves us. It's the Holy Spirit that makes us more like Jesus. We are being transformed from one degree of glory into another by the Spirit. Later in this letter, Paul will remind us to go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. We are meant to be like sailing yachts on the ocean. If there's no wind, if there's no spirit, if there's no breath, there's no power, there's no direction, there's no excitement, there's no adventure. But when that sail is filled with the power of the wind, that's when the adventure starts. So as Christians, we can only fulfill our calling if we go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to be dependent on the Spirit. What's more, the Holy Spirit is drawing on the very storehouses of God. It's not a little bit of power, it's total power. It's not a little bit of provision, it's total provision. It's not a little bit of blessing that has to be eked out. No, it's abundant blessing. Paul says, out of the glorious riches of God, the Holy Spirit can strengthen us. So we have a Father cheering us on. We have a Holy Spirit filling us and leading us to Jesus. But Paul's not done yet. Thirdly, he prays this, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. All five of the things that Paul prays for are important. But this one, number three, if you like, the central thing that he prays is a paramount truth. And it's this. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. The great theologian Karl Barth was once asked what was the central truth that he drew out of Scripture. He smiled and said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That great theologian of the 20th century had understood that the foundation of faith, the foundation of calling, was knowing that Jesus loved him more than he could comprehend, more than he could understand. As a pastor, I realise I don't pray this enough for those I lead. It's easy to pray for people that they would give more, serve more, turn up more. In the natural, these are the things that we can pray. But under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul prays this. Would you know the fullness of the love of God through Christ? Would you know how high and how wide and how deep is that love? 
He uses these great words, rooted. The Greek word is the same word used for tree roots. My friends who know about these things tell me that if you look at an oak tree, there's as much below the ground as above the ground. That's why oak trees are so strong in the UK, because they're rooted. Rooted and established, that Greek word is the word to express the foundations of a great building. What is Paul saying? He's saying, I want you rooted and established in the love of Christ. Then you won't be blown off course. You will feel secure. You see, friends, true freedom is to know we're loved because we're loved because we're loved. The world will tell us that we can be loved if we're the right shape, the right height, if we own the right things, live in the right place, drive the right car. But God says, no, you're secure because you're loved by an almighty God. And that love was expressed perfectly through Christ on the cross. The third thing is that we are loved. This is true security. That God loved us first. And that he still loves us. So we have a father who cares for us. We have a Holy Spirit filling us. We have love pouring over us through Christ. Number four, what does Paul pray? He prays about prayer. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power at work within us. God wants to do more through us than we could ask or imagine. And the way we connect with that is through prayer. Not little prayers, big prayers. I've been blessed with a son and a daughter. They're both grown up now because I'm old. But my daughter is great at asking. She knows that I love her. She knows that I have a generous heart. To be honest, she knows I can be a bit of a pushover. And therefore she asks big because she, know my, she knows my heart is to give big. Well, that's what Paul is saying here about our Heavenly Father. He wants to do immeasurably more than we can ask. So ask. Paul wants us to pray big prayers to a hugely generous God. He's saying to us, ask often and ask big because God's plans are greater than you could possibly imagine. And fifthly, Paul says this, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul has talked a lot about our calling. He's talked about the calling that he had and he's encouraging us into our calling. Paul has encouraged us to count the cost of our calling but not allow that cost to limit us because we have the Father heart of God. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. We have the love of Christ and we have the power of prayer. But Paul doesn't want us to land there. He wants to remind us again that it is all about God and his plan for his church. Paul reminds us that God will be glorified. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, he prays, throughout all generations. Sometimes we can look at the church and think, what's going on? Is God really being glorified through this? Well, God will be. 
God will receive the glory he is owed. It's not dependent on us getting it right. He is glorified through Christ, through the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension, and ultimately the return of Christ. God will be glorified, but he will also be glorified through his bride, through the church. The glory of God is not dependent on whether we step into our calling or not. The glory of God is dependent on God himself. See, Paul was in prison. It would be easy for him to be downcast. It would be easy for him to think, maybe I got it wrong, maybe I didn't hear clearly. And sometimes we can be in that place. But we know Paul is someone who rejoices in prison. We know he praises when he's in prison. We know he writes letters like this in prison to encourage the church. Why? Because he knew God would have the victory. That God will be victorious. That God will receive the glory owed to him. Elsewhere he prays, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So what do we do with this? How does it help us? Watchman Nee, in his commentary on Ephesians, more a little book than a commentary, summarises the whole book in three words. Sit, walk and stand. We're coming to the end, at the end of chapter 3, of that first word, to sit with God to dwell with God, to spend time with these central truths of the gospel, of salvation, of our place seated in heavenly places, of these truths that build us up, the Father heart of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, the love of Christ, the power of prayer, the glory of God in the church. But next week, we get to stand up and walk. In Ephesians 4, we'll be encouraged to walk in the good of what we know. So it's important, friends, that we know it. It's important that we really know this stuff. That we know we are totally secure in the love of God. That we have been called for purpose. That that purpose is our identity. That mission, that evangelism is not something we do as an added extra. It's the very context for our lives. Now we are children of God. So I want to encourage you this week to sit in this truth. Maybe you need to do that on your own, just with the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're in a life group and you can spend time with others, reading and praying these truths over one another. Maybe you need to gather in a larger group and sing truth, declare truth together, praise God together. Let's get deep into these truths because when we know them, they enable us to step up, to walk, to live our lives to the glory of God. Amen.